this um, uh, broadcast, uh, even though I am a medical professional, please do not construe my recommendations as medical advice for your own particular case. Find your own personal primary care doctor, hello there, find your own primary care doctor and uh, follow their recommendations because they know what is best and unique to your individual health. So anyways, let's get right into it. Weight loss, this is such a uh, ongoing and uh, a, a subject that really requires a lot of time and attention and research is constantly coming out. The more we find out about the body, the more we find out about the biochemistry of the body, um, as well as the changing state of our food supply and of course our own levels of exercise and recreation. So first and foremost, you can think of um, food in general as energy in, energy out. So, you know, calories, Calor calories are, um, are a caloric content of the body of the body when we ingest them. So, for instance, proteins have four kilocalories per gram. Carbohydrates have four kilocalories per gram. Fats or lipids have nine kilocalories per gram. So per gram of fat, there's obviously more um, energy inside that. So when we think of what we're putting into our mouth, is it high fat? Is it you know heavy on the carbs? Um, is there a lot of protein? Like if you ate a pretty big ribeye or T-bone steak, those are some things to consider. And when it comes to weight loss, portion size will definitely be where rubber meets the road. Portion size, and it's hard to it's hard to kind of navigate through that because it's unique to you. So I'm gonna try and get through that as much as I can. So when we're eating, you're, we're putting energy in. It comes off as usually heat from exercise, and um, uh, it, that's mostly how the energy comes out of is is as heat. So whether we're running, we're biking, or you know we're sitting to run that basal body temperature, or whatever it is, 98.6, and small variations there about. It's usually coming off as heat energy. First of all, you know, when we run and things like that, and to always, always monitor the metabolic functions that occur because we've consumed things. So when it comes to weight loss, the things you guys have always heard me say are imperative when it comes to that, uh, weight loss, that is. Organic, preferably preservative-free, non-GMO, non-genetically modified organisms in the food, additives. Um, artificial colorings and flavors, even natural flavor, that's a throwaway. Natural flavors, I'd say 98.3% of the time are derived from something that is maybe not natural, but it's been modified enough to be considered a natural a natural flavor. It's not always true blue that just because it's natural flavors means it's you know out of the ground or out of the earth and into the product that you're consuming and processing. What I'm getting at is that organic, the less amount of pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, insecticides, and the quality of the nutrition of the soil usually lends to the quality of the food item that you're going to consume. Anything that we eat that is not how it was grown in nature and intended to be eaten may provide a metabolic deficit to our body, especially when it concerns weight loss. So if we're eating something that is pretty heavily ridden in pesticides, the biochemistry of the body is not going to be function as optimally as it can be. Uh, some people are sensitive to food colorings that aren't derived from uh, natural means. 
um, co-op in the area has uh, Easter egg colors that are derived from, you know, I think this uh, the red is derived from um, skins of pomegranate and things like that. But if you see red 40, you know, blue 22, it almost sounds like football plays, yellow 5, and all those things, those aren't natural. Those are synthetic colorants in there. And people, what I'm trying to get at is any of these things when it comes to food supply may impede your body's biochemistry uh, from making peak and optimal metabolism for just that, weight loss or performance or um, clarity of the mind if your job requires a lot of, a lot of thinking. Um, critical thinking. I just want to plug a book that's helped me throughout my career. It's written by a second generation naturopath that expanded on his father's work. It's called Eat Right for Your Type. Eat Right for Your Type. Eat Right for Your Type by Peter Deademo. That's a D apostrophe A-D-A-M-O. Um, it's not the end all. It's not the end-all be-all, but um, I, I feel in my clinical practice a lot of this is true that if you know your blood type, which you can ascertain by visiting your primary care physician, or you can go to one of these blood, doning, blood donor uh, groups that will take your blood, they'll type it for free, and they can tell you what blood type you are. It doesn't change. It remains the same your whole life. Anyway, the gentleman who wrote this book and his father have based a lot of things on uh, increasing metabolic function, uh, boosting immunity based on blood type. And I find that patients that subscribe in a very general sense to uh, most of the thing, most of the recommendations to their blood type can be really helpful. Let's keep moving on here though too. So again, um, vegetables, vegetables do two things. They, they really provide a lot of nutrition in the body, um, some more than others. Uh, depending on the soil that it's grown in. Organic is, of course, the best. But those vegetables that we're consuming, um, they take up space in the gut, so they will modify the stretch receptors because as we eat you know, in our belly, our belly continues to expand. That sends the impulse to our brain to say, hey, slow down and or stop eating. Um, that being said, the nutritional content of vegetables is very, very, very good. Um, and so vegetables and putting a rainbow on your plate in the form of vegetable colors, so whether you saute them, um, steam them, eat them raw, it's, vegetables are good for you. Um, you'll find out you know, which ones are best for you. Um, protein with modification. So I think the recommendations for females is uh, 48 grams per day and males for 54. You'll find people on both sides of that saying that's too much or too little. It can be too much or too little depending on how how active your lifestyle or how inactive your lifestyle is but we need protein for all the enzymatic reactions in our body and that includes blood sugar control um, so with that being said um, I thought I'd get into a little bit of some of the uh, you know uh, cliche uh, stuff that's going on in the um, diet industry and things like that intermittent fasting so intermittent fasting, so that's going uh, 12 hours without consuming anything. Your water's fine, but consuming anything from a protein, a carbohydrate, or a fat lipid um, perspective. Um, going for 12 hours, your body burns almost exclusively um, uh, uh, carbohydrate during that first 12 hours. And then it goes from burning carbohydrate to fat almost exclusively. There's a little bit of bleeding on both sides, but so what people are doing is, you know, they would stop eating at 8 p.m. the night before and at 8 a.m. they'll um, be in that fasting state. So again, burning carbohydrate and then getting in a fasting state and burning lipids. 
And what that does is the body is, can naturally run on that. Um, it provides a great source of uh, energy to the body. Again, nine kilocalories per gram of fat compared to four kilocalories per carbohydrate or protein. So people are utilizing that increase in kilocalories that a gram of fat provides. It gives them mental clarity. Um, perhaps they're using it for um, intense exercise and things like that. That sort of thing can be beneficial for people whose bodies are, you know, primed for that sort of thing. To, to jump into a uh, ketogenic diet or to jump into a um, uh, intermittent fasting without your doctor's advice may be something you want to kind of kind of weigh, weigh on the side of caution of because your personal health is unique to you. Blood sugar problems can inevitably um, uh, be bad, uh, can, can pose a challenge to somebody who would be in a ketogenic state. But ketogenic state, as you can think of, if it, you're burning fat, if you're burning fat, then you're burning the fat that the body has that the body has on it because it's been 12 hours since you have uh, consumed carbohydrates. Um, too much intermittent fasting, I find in my practice, actually causes a cortical, a cort cortisol insufficiency. So, you know, the cliche term adrenal fatigue. Um, you know, in the, after you consume a, f a meal of uh, carbohydrates, fat, and lipids, it's, con it's considered to be in the fed state. Um, Fasting state is about 12 to 26 hours after consuming something. So 12 hours to, 20, uh, to 36 hours is fasting, and then beyond 36 is starving state. And that's when the body starts to tap into the, the proteins. It's, that's not good. Um, another thing I want to come uh, talk about is uh, slow eating. There's a whole foundation and this, that, and the other about slow eating. It takes about 20 minutes, two zero, 20 minutes from when you start eating for your brain to receive those um, those uh, hormones that say, hey, stop eating. So you're getting the stretch receptors of the stomach getting bigger and bigger because you're eating more to say, hey, Brent, to say, hey, stop eating or slow down eating. But it takes 20 minutes to be able to get the hormone access-ish, 20-ish minutes to get the hormone access back to the brain to say, hey, slow down or stop eating. So the importance for weight loss is eating slowly over time. I know we're all rushed, but if we can find that moment or that time to be able to consume slowly in the in the absence of electronics preferably that sort of thing will help our metabolism too we're chewing better we're taking more time to get that food mixed with the digestive enzymes in our mouth so that when we do swallow it um, the stomach it doesn't have to work as hard and uh, a lot more enzymes don't have to come into the stomach to be able to further chop that stuff down that where if we had five minutes to eat we're putting it down quick um, it's not going to be absorbed as well, and then it's not going to be metabolized as well. Your energy output should equal your energy input. I think of energy input, as, of course, as food. Your exercise, according to the American College of Sports Medicine, for those that are um, eating or that are are uh, looking for a moderate form of exercise, um, so walking, golfing, you know, pretty basic stuff. Uh, 300 minutes per week is what the American College of Sports Medicine recommends. If you're fit, you're athletic, or you're a runner, or you train in some capacity, you can get that done in half the time, 150 minutes per week. But that includes really intense exercise, like high intensity interval training, um, sprints, um, anything to really get that cardiovascular health going. So when it comes to energy input, you want it to equal somewhat that energy output. 
and if you start to do the output a little bit more than the input, then you get a deficit, and that deficit looks like weight loss. So you don't want to overshoot and not provide your body the adequate nutrition that you need to, to think, to breathe, to, to move, and things like that, but to um, go a little bit beyond of that, your body's not going to stop moving. It's, it's going to start, once you burn that carbohydrate, it'll go into those fat stores. And that fat store is more, more bang for your buck when it comes to caloric content. Um, let's talk about sugar and process, processed foods, but especially sugar. People try to, um, people ask me if it, you know, if it's not cane sugar, well then are the alternatives, you know, coconut and almond and whatever else sugar can be made from. It's not natural. A lot of these things that we get in these plants, they d distill these products and then they, they will concentrate them and basically distill out. And what the, the end product comes down is those beautiful sugar crystals that we put in cakes, pies, candies, uh, muffins, and all those wonderful baked goods. Those calories are empty. Why, why is most of that stuff white? The brown, sugar, the brown sugar has a little bit of nutrient left in it, but it's white because it's so darn processed. The nutrients have been deprived of it, and it's adding huge amounts of calories to the body in excess of what we would find if, as if it was natural products in nature. So when it comes down to it, there are alternatives. I tell people to, because there's research studies on both sides of the fence about too much of a good thing, which would be an alternative sweetener, such as xylitol, erythritol, uh, stevia, and things like that, monk fruit. Um, those things are good to have in moderation. Uh, when it comes to alternatives to sugar and maybe you can fool your brain and think hey I'm actually getting something um, sweet by consuming this and not having it so that um, you're looking for that next uh, real sugar fixed um, being you know cane sugar and, and sugar in general being one of the foremost addictive substances on the planet think of it energy in energy out how do you you know find out your energy output well that's gonna take some ebb and flow in your own life um, Physical trainers could probably help with that. Um, a bioimpedance analysis machine, a lot of gyms usually have that to be able to test for lean muscle mass, um, uh, uh, fat mass, uh, intracellular and extracellular water volume. Um, water is huge. Water is huge for weight loss. You've got to consume the adequate, the adequate amount of water for your, you got to run your system. Uh, we're land dwelling animals that are humans, whatever you want to say and we're between 70 and 72% water at any given time. So if you're having, uh, if you're consuming water um, and you start to dehydrate a little bit, your, your, your brain says, okay, what can we do to be able to operate this system and slow down the reactions that we don't need? So the idea is that if you're hydrated, everything should be firing on all cylinders, especially if you're moving and you're increasing your metabolism. But the second that you are a deficit for that water consumption, preferably purified water, your, mind, your brain has to say, what biochemical reaction can we slow down in the body? And that usually ends up being a metabolic reaction, which certainly can affect weight loss. Let me get to some of these. Um, oh, by the way, alternative sugars uh, or alternative sweeteners like aspartame, acesulfame potassium or acesulfame K, sodium saccharin, sweet and low. Don't ever do it. it it's better to go without than, I mean, a, a, a lot of those that I just described, their ultimate breakdown is formaldehyde. So I'm not good. First question, should you avoid carbs, gluten, or dairy to promote weight loss? 
carbs, gluten, or dairy. So you're talking about an inflammation versus calories thing, it sounds like this question's geared toward. When it comes to carbs, um, in my own life, my own personal life, I try to get between one and two servings of carbohydrate today, It's uh, per day. It's important to have carbohydrate because it encourages neurotransmitter production, serotonin, dopamine, and many, many others. So it helps, it can help with depression. Carbohydrates meaning whole grains, right? One to two servings, it could also be uh, fruit, right? So should you avoid carbs? I wouldn't avoid them completely if it was me. I wouldn't. They serve a purpose. How much? It's quantity issue. Uh, gluten or dairy to promote help weight loss. Should I avoid gluten or dairy? Is it inflammatory to you? You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of different signs for gluten and, and dairy inflammation. Some of it's found on labs. Some people are like, my gut is wrecked after I have this said item. Anytime you have inflammation, you have one of four or a combination thereof, redness, pain, heat, swelling. So if you're swelling, right, if your things are getting a little bigger, you're retaining water and if your immune system has to appropriate, you know, whatever it is, there's something inflammatory, immune cells to that region, maybe it's the gut, whatever, um, you aren't gonna see those those um, advances in metabolism or see a breakdown, um, a, a decrease in weight loss. Um, come see me for a uh, elimination diet, elimination challenge protocol. I don't like the D word, that is diet. Um, how can you understand what diet will work best for you? I think it's a comp combination of all the different diets that we know. You know, sometimes a pulsed keto, like people do pulsed keto for two weeks, and I don't necessarily consider that yo-yo dieting because we're just going between two states of of the body's metabolism, so like the fed state and the fasting state, the fed state and the fasting state. You can do a keto diet for two weeks, you could potentially, and lose weight, but when you go back on that, with carbohydrate and things like that. You don't want to overdo it because you're just going to gain it back. But, you know, to go between those two, shift between those two levels of metabolism, the body's naturally designed to do that. We didn't always have carbohydrates. Sometimes we had to have, you know, uh, fat and protein without the carbohydrate, depending on where we were wandering or what was in season, that sort of thing. I work out all the time and never lose weight. Are there any other factors that might be causing this that I should investigate? Gosh, that's a good one. You work out all the time and you never lose weight. I would certainly look at diet. People try to um, <laughs> isolate these two. Diet and exercise, or diet and diet, exercise and weight loss are a trio that cannot be separated. There is everything to each one is um, uh, um, really, really dependent on the other. So you've got to get all your ducks in a row in line. If you work out all the time, maybe you're building muscle, you know, um, and it's under it's under what you know you aren't losing weight. And people are like, muscle weighs more than muscle weighs more than fat. <laughs> no, a pound of muscle is equal to a pound of fat, right? So if you work all the, out all the time, you never lose weight. Um, are there any other factors that I might that might be causing this that you should investigate? The workout routine, you know, um, cardio metabolic training compared to if you're working out, I don't know what exactly you mean by, you know, you're working out, but a, a good workout has a combination of resistance training as well as cardiovascular training. So with that being said, um, come and see me for that. I'd love to help if I can. Um, can a poor, can poor sleep attribute to weight gain? Absolutely. S uh, sleep is imperative and, you know, 
It's different for everybody, but it's usually between seven and a half and nine hours per night is what's recommended. Poor sleep, yes, can attribute to weight gain and it can further contribute to the inability to lose weight adequately because anytime we are deprived on one end or the other, we can definitely um, impede our weight loss by not being um, uh, having having all our sleep. So at that at the same time, to be um, you know in bed for seven and a half to nine hours and getting that good quality sleep, um, it's going to help at least keep your weight where it's at. Or certainly, um, if you're doing all these other dietary lifestyle exercise modifications, it can help you lose weight too. Okay. Last question here, sorry for keeping you guys late, appreciate your time and attention and everybody who came on here today, you're great. What is more important for weight loss, diet or exercise? You can't separate them. Diet and exercise are imperative, they're, they're one and the same. Um, if my diet's crummy but I'm, you know, juiced up like Rocky, um, in today's society it's just, it's not going to add up. Um, you would find that if you put the diet in there and you still have that exercise routine, your gains as far as whatever it was, building muscle or running farther or gaining endurance or stamina like that would catapult with the diet in order. And uh, conversely that, you know, if you're eating a great diet but you have a sedentary lifestyle or semi-sedentary lifestyle, you aren't, you know, going back to that energy in, energy out equation of if I'm going to eat this, I need to at least pull off this much um, uh, exercise to be able to make it so that I'm not gaining or holding on to things that aren't burned. It's it's like a car. You put engine, you put fuel in the you fuel in the car. The car drives, and you know there's just enough to be able to put in there to get you to a certain place. Um, if you need more, then you need more gasoline. If you need less to get you to that. Um, place you still have that energy or that fuel inside you so um, with that being said I'm Dr. Moreland I hope some of this was helpful I know it's a very very challenging to navigate weight loss